see some heads nodding and a few rattling things going on. Hey, thanks for being with us online. Good to have you with us tonight. Go ahead and stand with me as we open up in prayer. Everybody okay, huh? Anybody having allergy issues besides me? Whoo, man, something else. Probably a little bit of everything. Uh, but uh, how many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Uh, again, we move into the very busy uh, holiday season with Thanksgiving and uh, and then Christmas and New Year's and just a lot of stuff, a lot of demand. And I do this every year. Let's pray that the 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 busyness of the season doesn't detract from the purpose of the season. Uh, you know, I... Uh, I think it's a time that, you know, there are a lot of people that are sensitive to the gospel during this time, and we want to take every advantage of it that we possibly can. Uh, we uh, Let's continue praying for revival, uh, and again, starting here and flowing out. But uh, again, we have several several needs of people that are having procedures in hosp- uh, that are in the hospital and, and some that uh, have some test results that came back that weren't what they were looking for, but I'm glad that there's a healer. And I'm glad that we can call out to him and he hears us when we pray. So let's just pray together. Father, tonight we love you so much and we're so thankful to be able to come together and study your word tonight. Lord, I thank you that you are, uh, the name of the Lord is the strong tower and the righteous run to and are safe. And Lord, I thank you for that shelter that we can run to. And, and, and Lord, I, uh, tonight as we open up, we do so again in this month of November, uh, Lord, a month of thanksgiving. Lord, we are, we're grateful for your faithfulness. Lord, we're grateful that you are trustworthy completely and that we can come to you with our needs. And tonight, every hand that went up in the building signifies a need uh, in our lives tonight. And I just pray, Father, that no matter what that need is, uh, Lord, that you would just intervene. I pray for those that need that healing touch. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you're bigger than any sickness, disease uh, that we have. Lord, you are the great physician, and we still believe that. Uh, Lord, I pray for those that have got an unfavorable report. Lord, we believe that you're able to do and astound the doctors with your, with your healing touch and your healing hand. I pray, Father, for financial need. I pray for relational need tonight. Uh, Lord, I pray for, uh, Lord, all the ministries that are taking place on the campus. Lord, we pray that in every one that you would be exalted and lifted high. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, just pour out your spirit, Lord, in this, in this closing hours of humanity. Lord, let revival come and let it begin with us. Uh, Lord, just ignite us in flames and let it just ebb out into our community and around. Father, be with us again in a very special way, I pray tonight. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit this time and service to you right now. Thank you for all that you do. We ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Uh, Go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And uh, I am one of those with allergies tonight, so pardon my sniffling. Uh, I, that's hey. When I get to heaven, I'm not gonna have to worry about ragweed or mountain cedar or anything, <laughs> anything else. Uh, gone. All of that's gone. Um, in way of announcements, I I do want to uh, point out that uh, on uh, our food distributions coming up a uh, week from tomorrow, and just kind of make note of that. Some of you may have seen us online today. We were gifted. Uh, several hundred, maybe a few thousand strands of Christmas lights, new and gently used. And, uh, and I tell people all the time, I love, I love to get, if I was rich, if I was just filthy rich, I'd give stuff away all, I just enjoy doing that. So we, 
uh, parked the trailer out here, told people, hey, Bethel Temple's got Christmas lights, and boom, they were gone. Uh, you know, what's that old adage? If it's free, it's me. <laughs> and uh, uh, But anyway, our food distribution happening next Thursday at the Yellow Jacket Stadium. And then I also want to just remind you of two other things. One, being the newcomer uh, lunch, which is following the morning service on November the 13th. So it's about 10 days from now. Uh, there is a sign-up sheet. I know we have it online as well, but there is a sign-up sheet at the Hub. If you're new in our Bethel family, we'd love for you to stick around and have lunch with us and just kind of get to know us and us get to know you. Uh, I, I've been praying that God would raise up ministries and people, <coughs> pardon me, that, uh, that, that really, I really believe that right now is the time to reach our community. Uh, I know we've been serving faithfully for many, many years, at least in our tenure here for almost 30 years, uh, but we want to finish strong until Jesus comes. And so I keep praying, Lord, bring in the labors. He ne- you know, he never said pray for converts. You ever know th- notice that? Never did. He said pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth what? Laborers. And so that's what we pray for. Uh, the harvest will come if the laborers are busy. And so uh, that's going on on the 13th. So uh, uh, anyway, let's get into our word tonight. We started a series, or I started a series last Wednesday, Portraits of Christ, and again, one of the one of the reasons behind this is I everybody's heard the the term Christ like, you know, oh you got to be like Christ or, or or live like Christ. Again, what does that mean, and and how does that flesh out in our day to day walk that we have? Um, so what I, what we're doing is we're taking kind of snapshots of his life, and we're looking at how he dealt with particular situations, and in turn kind of glean from it on how you and I can respond. Last week, we looked at the rich young ruler uh, and how Jesus loved that man, and yet because he loved him, he told him the truth. You know, he didn't, he didn't shy away. He said, you know, he could have said many things, and I told you that he, could have, he would have been welcomed and an a, uh, esteemed member of most churches that are in existence today, but Jesus said, you still lack one thing. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And uh, and so tonight we're going to talk about the greatest. Who's the greatest? Uh, well, I mean, there's been a lot of people ask that question. Muhammad Ali said, I'm the greatest. Um, but uh, Mark chapter 10, verse number 32 says, Now, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And they followed, uh, and as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again to begin to tell them the things that would happen to him. Verse 33, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, scourge him, and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Isn't that cool? I want you to do whatever I ask you to do. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you, don't, you do not know what you're asking or what you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. 
And with the baptism I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand or on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard this, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who were considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desire to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's a mouthful, <laughs> especially when you got allergies going on. Anyway, so, so as we start unpacking this, again, we're talk, talking about a snapshot in the life of Jesus. And I think every one of us here understands that there's more, there's really more to being a Christian than just attending church once a week or, or, or there's more to being a Christian than, than giving money, the tithes and the offer. There's more to it than that. You know, Jesus one time said, he said, I, you know, the, the, the Pharisees, they boasted about their tithing. They tithed of everything, even the, the smallest, most minute thing that they had. They tithed on it, and they were very proud of tithing. And Jesus said, you know, uh, you should do those things, but there are other things. And it's the same thing with Christianity. Being, being a Christian is more than just being in church and more than just giving money. It's about living a life that is consecrated to God. It's about being Christ-like. And throughout history, you know, there have been great women, men and women of God that have exemplified what it means to be Christ-like. In fact, one of my favorite books in the Bible and chapters is Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, because when you read Hebrews chapter 11, it is a, cha- a chapter that is dedicated to, um, to powerful men and women of faith who accomplished great things because of their faith. It was by faith that Noah built. It was by faith that Abel offered a better sacrifice. It was by faith that Abraham looked for a city. It was by faith that he, all of these things, it was by faith. They lived tremendous lives, and they, they, they left an impression. They made an impact. Uh, but there have also been poor examples of people who claim to be followers of Jesus, and yet they never, their life never matched up to his life. You know, Paul talked about Damas, who had forsaken uh, you know, at one point he said Damas was a trusted advisor, a trusted friend. And then you find him writing another letter and saying, Damas has forsaken us um, and has given in to the things of this world. So you have, through the Bible, there are great examples of people that accomplish incredible things by living a Christ-like life. But then there are others that are not very good examples. You know, one of the things that you notice about men and women in Scripture is that when they had an encounter with Jesus... They were changed. And see, that's why I still believe that if a person comes to say a prayer or go to a, 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 con, you know, a confirmation class or go to whatever you want to call it, if a person prays the sinner's prayer, if there's not a change in them, it wasn't a genuine conversion. Because when Jesus Christ comes into our heart and our lives, things change. We change. Now, I understand that we carry baggage, okay? I'm not, I'm not denying that at all. In fact, my, so I've still got baggage that's been hanging on to me for a long time, you know, and I, I, just, I just proudly keep marching forward and say he's still working on me. But there is evidence of change. Uh, our wanters begin to change, and we start wanting less of what we want and more of what he wants, and, 
And, uh, you know, again, you notice that about people that had an encounter with Jesus. They changed. They absolutely changed. It still happens today. The gospel of Jesus Christ is still changing hearts and lives of men and women from all walks of life. It's, it's still the gospel that turns bad men into good men and bad women into good women. It's still the gospel message. <clears throat> Unfortunately, we live in a time where a lot of believers have uh, privatized their faith to the point that we have failed to be light and to be salt in this world that we live in. You know, you hear people all the time say things like, well, that's a private matter. That's something you ought to do it in your house. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be broadcasting it. I'd say nonsense. If they can swear in public, I can pray in public. Amen? I mean, why not? You know, I mean, I, I just... I, again, we live in a time where so many people have tried to privatize their faith. And, and I really believe this. If, if your private life doesn't match your public life, then there's something wrong. That's duplicit. You know, that's duplicity right there. And, and the Bible says that a, a double-minded man is what? Unstable in all of his ways. You know, the call to believers today is to live Christ-like lives. That, that's the call. You know, we're, we're, we're to be disciples of Jesus. We're to be people. Uh, again, one of my favorite statements in the Bible about the disciples is that there were people that marked them and said, these men who turned the world upside down have come hitherto also. There was something about them that stood out. The, the, the other one is where it says they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. I wonder sometimes, do people know that we've been with Jesus? You know, do they know that we have a relationship? How do they know? Again, uh, I, I don't think we privatize it. I think we live it out in such a way that people naturally understand there's something different about us. You know, this is a challenging proposition to live a Christ-like lives. It's one of those things that requires tremendous amount of effort on our part. But if we're willing to pay the price, there's tremendous blessings for us. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. He said, but I'm come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness or abundance, or whatever word you want to use there. And, and, and there's so many people that have never tapped in to the abundant life that Jesus offers simply because they've not denied themselves, taken up their cross, and they're not following him. They're not living Christ-like. Total surrender. Again, I, I think problematic in our culture today is we have celebrity Christians that parade themselves on television and they preach a lifeless gospel, unable to truly impact the hearts of men. And I, and I don't mean that to be offensive, but, but much of what's being preached, and there's some good content, okay? So don't read between the lines. I'm not condemning. I, in fact, I'm not saying it's even wrong to be on TV. I'm just saying that much of what we see coming across the Christian television networks of our day are not life-impacting messages. They're not life-altering messages, um, you know, and, and, and again, I, I've often challenged, years, years gone by, I used to challenge our staff to, to understand that to be effective in ministry, it's not about getting people to do what you don't want to do, right? Effective ministry is about rolling up our sleeves and standing with one another in the gap, making a difference, making a difference. Jesus lived a real life, and in his real life, he gives us a tremendous example uh, of what real ministry looks like. How, how does that flesh out in a day by Because he lived day by day. Jesus lived on this earth day by day. 
And we look at his, the glimpses of his life, and he gives us an example of how you and I can, can, can live a Christ-like manner right now. One of the things I said last week, and I think it's important we understand, is that Jesus was not into self-promotion. I mentioned last week that many of the people that he healed, he said, shh, don't tell anybody. He wasn't about promoting himself. It was all glory going to the Father. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't climbing. He wasn't trying to climb the popularity uh, ladder. He was concerned about one thing, and that was fulfilling the mission that his father had sent him on. That's what he was interested in doing. You know, and, and, and to truly make an impact in these perilous days, we have to develop the same mindset that Jesus exemplified. And so as I get started tonight, that was a long introduction. So tonight, uh, tonight our text, we're talking to Jesus. So, so I, want you, I want to set this thing up. Jesus has been telling, okay, so I read the scripture. Jesus had been telling his disciples uh, about what was going to take place when they got to Jerusalem, okay? So he's telling them that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be arrested, He's going to be mocked and ridiculed and beaten and ultimately crucified. He's going to die, and he's going to be resurrected. He's going to be raised from the dead. Uh, and, you know, and again, it's kind of funny because when you, you read that, now if somebody came to me and said, okay, so we're going to go over here, and there's a group of people waiting for us over there, and they're going to beat us and stone us, and they're going to do all these things. I don't know that I would be thinking along the lines of what James and John were thinking. Okay? So, so, so again, I want to set that up in context. Jesus is talking to them about what really is waiting on them in Jerusalem and what's about to happen. Okay? I'm going to go there. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be beaten, spit upon, and I'm going to be killed. And in the third day, I'm going to be raised up. It was at this moment, okay, he had just gotten those words out of his mouth that James and John come up to ask Jesus for a favor. Okay, we, we read that in the text. And uh, he, they said, hey, we, we want you to do a favor for us, whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do? And, of course, you know the story. I read the narrative there. It says, we want to sit one on your right, one on your left. And, you know, Jesus uh, kind of quizzes them a little bit. I love what the... That last verse 41 says, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant <laughs> with, with James and John. Uh, and, and so I want to kind of go on from there because I think Jesus handled this in a very interesting way. Again, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, he's telling them he's about to die. And what are these two guys thinking about? Position. About position. <laughs> Who's going to be the greatest? You know, I want to be here and my brother wants to be here. Grant us that we might sit there. And so, you know, let me just start out by saying we've got to be careful not to be too hard on James and John as being totally insensitive and selfishly ambition. Because if the truth of the matter is, if you look at them from a different, maybe a different lens, these guys had some things going for them. I mean, think about it. They were men of vision. You've got to give them that. They, they were men of vision. Jesus had told them that he was going to Jerusalem to die. He also told them that he was going to be raised again on the third day. So the part about him dying did not even phase them, okay? Didn't even phase them. But the part about being resurrected on the third day captured their imagination. That's what I want you to see. 
it captured their imagination. So, so Jesus said, I'm going to die. They don't even blink an eye about it. But then he says, I'm going to be raised up on the third day. And boy, it catches their attention because now their wheels are turning. Oh, he's going to be resurrected. You've got to get in on this. Again, they're starting to visualize greatness. That's what they're doing. You know, they, they knew who he was. They, they understood that he was God's chosen Messiah. They believed that he would one day rule over all of creation. And they had tremendous faith in Jesus. And they realized they were on the ground, ground floor. How many how many's ever, ever bought into a, and, and I, I, I hesitate to say this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Anybody ever got suckered into an MLM, a multi-level marketing scheme? You know, you, I mean, they, they, they've been packaged in every way you can imagine. Phone, long-distance phone services, uh, you, you know, weight loss products or vitamin supplements. I mean, just all kinds of things, multi-level marketing. Here's the thing. The only people that make money in a multi-level marketing scheme are the people who start it on the bottom floor. If you happen to come in later on, don't believe one thing they tell you because it's not true. That's really kind of, I, I know that's a silly way, analogy, but that's kind of where they are. They're, they're, they're hearing Jesus say, I'm going to die. Again, it doesn't phase them. They center on the fact that Jesus said, three days later, I'm going to be resurrected. They got, ooh, I got to get in on this. I got to get in on this. They want to be on the ground floor, so to speak. They wanted to be key players in his administration. I mean, think about it. What if you could go back in time to the mid-'70s and what if you could locate this nerdy-looking kid who just dropped out of Harvard and you walked up to him and said, you know, Bill, I believe you're going to go places. I want to be on your team, Bill Gates. What if you could do that? Or what if you could go back a few more years and find a nerdy-looking guy that is fascinated by science fiction and say something like, you know, George Lucas, I think you have talent for making movies. I'd like to be on your team. I'd like to work with you. Can you imagine how easy it would be riding their coattails into success? Again, hindsight is twenty twenty. We look back now and we know what, their life, what they've done in, in their life and the success that they've had. Again, not big, big fans, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, that's really kind of what James and John were doing right here. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. We're gonna, I'm going I'm to be arrested, betrayed, arrested, beaten, Tried, convicted, killed, but three days later, I'm coming back. See, they saw, they saw in, that's what they saw in Jesus on a larger scale. They understood who Jesus was, and they wanted to be a part of it. So they were men of vision. So we can't fault them for that. The second thing is that they were, men, they were two men who were willing to pay the price. Jesus said it like this. He asked them plainly. He said, hey, can you drink the cup? Did I drink, or can you be baptized with the same baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Are you willing to pay the price? You see, that's the difference between winners, win, uh, achievers and posers is the willingness to pay the price, right? I mean, he, again, he was basically what Jesus was using there was a colloquial phrase that simply means, are you willing and able to suffer with me? I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to give it all, lay it all on the line. Are you willing to do that? Are you able to do that? And they quickly answered and said, yes. Yes, we are. And they weren't blowing smoke. And the reason I say they weren't blowing smoke uh, up his pant leg is because later on in life, they pay for it ultimately. 
right? James is killed by Herod, and John is exiled on the Isle of Patmos. They gave, they they laid their lives on the line. So they weren't they weren't just bumping their gums. Yeah, they they were willing to pay the price. Again, John John was boiled in oil and, and, and exiled on the Isle of Patmos. James was murdered by Herod. They paid the price for their allegiance with Jesus. So when he said that they were if, when he asked them if they were willing to suffer, and they said, yes, they truly meant it. They were willing. Another good thing about James and John is that they weren't afraid of being unpopular. It didn't bother them. So much of what our society does is based on the number of likes that they get on their social media posts. People often act out today. Listen, I, I think technology is a wonderful thing. It is a great tool. Uh, I think about with COVID, when, when everything was shutting down, I think how we were able to communicate with people and stay in contact with people. Um, I, I wasn't a big fan of preaching to an empty building on Sunday so it could go out on live stream uh, or recorded. I, I wasn't a big fan of that, but I did it every week until we opened up and did the parking lot and did the parking lot service, and I thought that was cool. you know. But these men were not afraid of being unpopular. They weren't looking for likes and retweets and whatever else they do in social media, TikTok posts and Snapchats and all those things. And here's why I know they weren't, they didn't care about being unpopular. Mark says that when the other disciples heard this, you know, they didn't come up to Jesus and whisper. <laughs> they, they said, hey, we want you to grant us a favor. The Bible says when the other disciples heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Why were they indignant? Well, some scholars say that they were irritated because they beat them to the punch. <laughs> they just they just happened to think about it first. But here's the thing. In the previous chapter, Mark chapter 9, uh, Jesus asked the disciples what they had been arguing about on the road. So, so now you under, you'll get a little glimpse into what was going on. They had been arguing on the road. So in Mark chapter 9, verse 34, Jesus asked him, why were you arguing? What was it that you were arguing about? Mark 9, 34 says, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. That's what they were fussing about. And then all of a sudden, James and John go up there and say, hey, we, we want to sit on the right hand and on the left hand. Apparently, this was the ongoing debate with these 12 disciples. Who was the best? Who was the greatest? Who was the most committed? Who was the favorite? You ever had kids do that? It's kind of funny. So I have all but I have all granddaughters, and uh, and they 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 always get into a debate on who's the number one. And one of them say I'm number one. The other one said No, I'm number one. Of course, they know Mimi's number one, but then but then my daughter will say No, I'm number one. And then then they'll say Well, I'm number two, <laughs> and then they'll go on down the line there. Uh, you know, they just, again, they discussed these things among themselves. But James and John were the first two bold enough to come right out and ask for a position of prominence. You know, it's like they were saying to Jesus, well, you know what, we're going to let those guys figure it out among themselves. But you know what, we want to get down to some serious business. Let's have this discussion. James and John were what most people would consider ideal leaders. They were They were visionary. They weren't afraid of paying, you know, paying the price. They weren't afraid of uh, being unpopular. 
I mean, again, you could build a business, success, successful business, with guys like this. But Jesus wanted to make it very clear to these, these men that that type of leadership does not work in the kingdom of God. That's important. Leadership in the kingdom is, a, is so far different than leadership in secular society. Now, it doesn't have to be. I know great leaders in, secu- in the secular world that live by biblical principles, and they are outstanding leaders, incredible leaders. You know, being, being in leadership is not about being a boss. It has nothing to do with being able to bark orders and tell, tell people what to do. and that, That's not leadership. That's just a boss. You know, that's, again, despite all the good things that they had going on, these two guys still had something serious. And, you know, they had some serious flaws in their approach. And it's an important distinction. Jesus, I want you to hear this. Jesus, nowhere in the text did he scold them for what they asked. Did you notice that? He did not scold them. He did not berate them for overly ambitious desire. He didn't do that at all. He just, cor- he just corrected them for going about it the wrong way. Listen, desiring to achieve greatness in the kingdom of God, it's good. It's good. But there's only one way that we can do that, and that is this. We have to become a servant. We have to become a servant. Kingdom living says that the way up is down. The way up is down. The way to the top is through the cellar. Notice what, that's what Jesus said in verse 43. He said, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Doesn't make an ounce of sense, but that's because kingdom living is different than natural living. Just It's upside down. See, living a Christ-like life means uh, understanding that greatness isn't measured by position or power or prestige or influence or income. Or anything like that. Again, most I think most pastors and business people, uh, you know, if we're not careful, you can get zeroed in on people that command that presence and command that authority to get people to do things. But but got to be very careful. Got to be very careful. These men came up; they possessed great qualities. But Jesus said that ain't going to work in the kingdom. That type of leadership's not going to work in the kingdom. What did Jesus mean when he said, "For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve"? Well, what he meant was, this is how you do it. This is how you become great in my kingdom. He said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must spend your life focusing on what you give, not what you get. That's it. Regardless of what it is, whether it's, uh, again, I mean, you take anything that you, whatever it is, the way to greatness in the kingdom. And that's why I truly believe that when we get to heaven, some of the ones that are going to be the very first in the line, again, this is my vision, some of the very first people in line are not going to be those who are paraded in, in the public that have had have the microphone or lead. I, I think it's going to be the grandmas and the grandpas and the people that nobody thinks anything about that keep the, the, the building functioning and running, the ministries run, the nursery workers those are going to be the heroes in heaven because they served without any applause. They served without any recognition. They served because they were serving as unto the Lord and not anybody else. That's what it's all about. There are three things I want to give you as we bring this in that apply to this, this to our life. Number one, we have to be willing to work without a guarantee. What does that mean? Well, I mean, think about it. James and John, what were they doing? They're trying to negotiate <laughs> the best deal they could for themselves. 
let one of us sit on your right and the other one sit on your left. Basically, they're saying, hey, we'll share your vision and we'll pay the price and we'll do the work and in return, we want the recognition we deserve. That's really what they're asking. Hey, we, we, we buy into your vision. We believe in what you're doing. We believe in you. We, uh, you know, we're willing to pay the price. We'll do the work. All we're asking for is for you to give us the recognition that we deserve. And Jesus basically, in effect, said, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> That's not how it works. He told him, he said, you are going to pay a price, but I can't promise you a position of power, prestige, because that's not up to me. I can't, I can't give that to you. Every person who wants to achieve greatness in the kingdom of God must let go of the desire for recognition. You have to. Can you imagine, I've said this before, and I, and I read it, so it's not, it's not new to me or it's not original with me, but can you imagine how much could be done if we didn't worry about who got the credit? I mean, seriously, if we didn't care... Uh, who who got the credit? I I love. I'm a I'm a big Tommy Barnett fan, and and years ago when I first saw him, probably in the late 90s, 97, 96, 97 time frame, he was talking about when he went to Davenport, Iowa. He's built two mega churches. The church in Phoenix uh, runs about 17,000 people right now, but he was in Davenport, Iowa prior to going to Phoenix, and he was talking about when he went to that church, how small it was, and some of the things that they started doing, and uh, he said, you know, you got to be careful when things start going well. He said, because I was the, I was the guy. He said, I was the one. He said, I, I started my own bus route. I'd go out and run the bus. And he said, when the bus got filled up, I'd, I'd uh, hand it off to somebody else, and I'd got, buy another bus, and I'd go out and start another bus run. And he said, I started doing all these things. He said, I had people in the church. I had farmers. And he said, some of these farmers would, during harvest time, they would come in, and they would bring me fresh green beans and produce out of their garden and and when they'd slaughter an animal they'd bring me fresh meat and he said and I remember the day when one of my associate pastors walked into my office and he had a bag of green beans that one of the people in the church had given to him and he said in that instance I had a decision because you see he said you see they didn't bring me a bag of green beans but they brought him a bag of green beans you understand what I'm going? He said, I could have gotten angry. I could have gotten upset and said, well, why did they bring you green beans and not bring me green beans? He said, but I made the choice not to let that become an issue. And he said, God continued to bless and thrive. the church uh, just was thriving from there on. And, and that's kind of the idea here. Listen, if we're not concerned about who gets the recognition, then, man, incredible things can be done. Listen, because here's the thing. If you serve God, most people who serve God never get the recognition they deserve. Whatever capacity, whether it's a, a Sunday school teacher, a, a, a custodian, a greeter, what, whatever it is, you, you never get the recognition that you deserve, not in this life. Again, I, even while I'm here right now, we've got people all across this campus that are serving in some capacity, some in youth some in children's ministry, we've got a women's Bible study, we have a choir going on. There, there's some serving going on that most people here wouldn't even know that they're back there doing that. But he does. He does. 
Listen, as we speak, again, there are people that are quietly giving 100% of themselves to the work of God. They're faithfully performing their ministries with a spirit of excellence, and most people will never know who they are. But I assure you, heaven does. Again, there, there, there are congregations that are being served by dedicated pastors who will never be, their name will never be in print. Their names will never be known outside of their local community. They'll never be talked about at a district council. There are missionaries that are serving in foreign countries right now that nobody knows anything about, and yet they're serving. we got nursing home ministries, Bible distribution ministries, jail ministries, things that are going on that nobody knows about. Listen, it may not seem fair, right? I understand that. It may not seem fair, but that's just the way it is. And that's the way it needs to be because if we need recognition, if we need the recognition of men and women to keep motivated for doing the kingdom work, we're not cut out to be great in the kingdom. Not cut out to be great. If we're focused on, if our focus is what's in it for me, then you're not going to be effective for Jesus. Not going to be effective at all. It's not about... It's not about what, you know, with me running the disaster relief ministry, you know, every time one of the executives or somebody from the district comes out to a site that I'm working, they always say, you shouldn't be out there running a chainsaw. You know, you're the director. You should be directing. I said, I'm, I can do both. That's my answer. I can do both. I kind of enjoy running that chainsaw. Man, there's just something about, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> just get that thing going and seeing that wood just... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going back to a Jerry Clower thing there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I just, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> I'm not too good to run a chainsaw. I'm not too good to drag a limb from somebody's backyard to the front of the house to put out beside the road with the rest of their stuff. I'm not too good to slosh around like we did in, uh, in, in, in Hurricane Harvey down in uh, Sealsby, Texas. I'm not too, too good to suit up with boots and mud gear and walk into a house that has nine feet of water or had nine feet of water in it and muck out their house. I'm not too good for that. That's what Jesus said. You want to be great? Just become a servant. Number two, we have to be willing to pay the price. Willing to pay the price. Jesus told James and John that they would suffer. And here's what he said, verse 40. He said, you will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. What did that mean? Well, to them, they understood it meant that this is not an easy road. <laughs> it's not an easy road. Listen, and, and I never thought I would say this. I know I'm doing this end time series on Sundays, but I, I'm, 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 I'm really disturbed in my spirit. Uh, how would I want to say that? It's going to be more difficult being a believer in today's America than it was in the past. I think about our students, I think about BT kids and the culture that they're growing up in and how anti-God it has become, and it concerns me. It, it really does. And I think maybe that's what Jesus was saying is that, look, the road that you're on, if you choose to follow me, if you choose to go my route, you're going to drink the cup that I do. You're going to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, meaning it's not going to be an easy road. It's not going to be an easy road. People who want to achieve greatness in the kingdom need to understand that there will always be a price to be paid. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, 
arm yourselves also with the same attitude. With the same attitude. You know, isn't it easy for us to look at successful people and only see their rewards? We see their rewards. You know, professional athletes would be a good example. You see some of these 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 people that make tons of money. You know, you got a, a running back that get, signs a $95 million deal to run a football. And you think, man, I'd go get beat up for $95 million. <laughs> Anybody ever thought the same thing? <laughs> you know? I used to say I'd take a punch from Mike Tyson, but after I saw him punch somebody, I thought, no, nah, I don't think I would. But, I mean, you think about it, you know, and, and, and the media really likes to jump on this, and they like to talk about their inflated salaries, but rarely do they ever show us the price that these men pay for their wealth. You don't, you don't see that. You know, you don't, you don't see the training that they put themselves through. You don't see the fierce competition, the brutality of the game. I remember some years ago I was in Plano at, with a friend of mine. We were doing a missions event up there in Charles Haley, anybody know the name Charles Haley? Charles Haley, uh, Dallas Cowboy, former Dallas Cowboy football player, has five Super Bowl championships, five rings. And I had dinner with him that one night. And he was, so he brought in his five trophies and had his five rings on his fingers. He couldn't, he couldn't close his hand because the rings were so big. But here's the thing. As accomplished as he was on the, on the gridiron, this man, who was feared by the other side, could barely get up and walk to the front row right here. Could barely walk. Needed hip surgery, needed knee replacements, had ankle issues, rotator cuff issues. You see, we, we look at their rewards and we think, man, that must be nice. But we, but we don't see the time they put in. While we're out running the doing the date scene and running out to the movies or wherever we may be going, they're, they're practicing. They're in the gym. They're lifting weights. They're running laps. They're, they're doing drills. They're doing all of these things because, listen, there's a, there's a difference there. There's a price to be paid. If you're not willing to pay the price, you're not going to the next level. You're not going to make it. And, and, and add to that. I mean, think about this. Not only do they have the, the, the training and the physical pain and the suffering that they endure through their competitive sports, if you don't perform to their satisfaction, you know what? They get booed by their own home, play, home team, home fans. Listen, most people aren't cut out for that punishment. In fact, I think most people probably wouldn't last a, a week trying to endure what they do. Everyone that I know has made serious commitment to a life of service in the kingdom of God has had to suffer in the process. It's part of the package. There have been friends that have walked away. There have been people that have turned their backs as part of the package. Again, some suffer persecution, some suffer poverty, some criticism and disloyalty, but everybody has a price to pay. Jesus said in Matthew 20, excuse me, Matthew 10, says a student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. In Luke 21 says, Men, men will hate you. Why? Because of me. Men will hate you because of me. Again, when you identify, particularly in today's culture, if you're going to school, if you're in college right now, and you identify as a Christian, be prepared in certain places. Be prepared for them to mock you publicly 
and to berate you, as the professor to berate you for being a Christian. I've seen, I've seen videos of people that are in the classroom and they, they identify as a Christian and boy, they are crucified verbally in front of everybody. Oh, I can't believe you'd believe something like that. It's not fair. You know what? That's the way it is. And if we want to be a Christ, if we want to live a Christ-like life, suffering is part of the package. There has to be a price. And the only question is, are we willing to pay it? And the third thing is this. I'm going to close with this one. We have to be committed to meeting the needs of others. Verse 42, Jesus said, You, do, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentile lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. So, so he's given a contrast. And the contrast is between the Gentiles who have bosses. You know, they, they, they crack the whip. They stay on top of people and, and, and dictate what needs to be done. He said, don't do that. Don't be like that. You know, I've, I've, seen, I've seen pastors, I've seen church staff that felt like it was their job to, so, so they want to come up with a nice word, delegate. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with delegating, okay? Don't read between the lines. But you don't delegate every bit of your responsibility and call that leadership. I call that laziness. <laughs> right? Right? So, so he's contrasting. He's saying, hey, don't be like the Gentiles. They take their position and they push people around. They push them around. And they get them to do whatever they want them to do. See, the, the, their idea of leadership is to have as many people serving them as they possibly can, doing whatever they desire. See, their, their idea of, of, of leadership is power and prestige and position. Jesus said, <laughs> no, that don't fly in my kingdom. That's not it. See, in the kingdom of God, he said, you lead people by working on their behalf. You lead people by serving them. See, living a Christ-like life is not about, it's not about ourselves. It's about serving other people. See, we're called to live uh, others-oriented, others-oriented. You know, one of the, uh, again, in my mind, I mean, I, you know, I think we've kind of built a reputation around that I tell everybody that, hey, if you got something to get rid of, call me. I love giving stuff away. I, national partners I've worked with for years, I, I tell them all the time, you got a truckload of supplies, I don't care what it is, you bring it here, we'll get rid of it. I'll park it out on the parking lot, get on Facebook and say, hey, I was, I was doing a deal the other day and I, I just had to share, I thought this was pretty comical. So, so we're doing this donut thing. Um, Everybody, how many's ever heard of Krispy Kreme donuts? Woo-hoo. You want to know what manna was? That's what it was. It's Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> that was manna from heaven. They still have it. So, so, so last year, I had I put, I put this little deal on social media that hey, I want to know what you're thankful for in your job, and then we select uh, places in the community, and we take I take them donuts. You know, just as a blessing to, 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 to bless them. And so I made my post. I stopped. I had my doctor's appointment last week, my, my pre-op appointment last week. And so I stopped by the Krispy Kreme, and I had to sample them, make sure they're still good. Okay? You know, just, just checking them out. <laughs> and I get a picture made, and I post it on social media. 
And it was funny because, you know, I've been posting now for almost two, over two years, our events, and I always have my calling card, which is a, anybody know what it is? It's a sucker. If you ever seen any of my videos, I got a sucker. And so this lady commented, she said, you're a fake. She said, you're a fake, Mike. Where's the lollipop? Because <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have a lollipop. <laughs> and I thought, that's pretty good. That's pretty good that people pay attention to even something as silly as having a blow pop in my hand. Um, greatness is about serving. And sometimes, you know, and, and, and we get so caught up thinking about it has to be so big and elaborate. Giving a donut, is not, that's not elaborate. Not at all. Running a cup of coffee by somebody, that's not elaborate. Again, I'm just saying, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you serve people. You live others-oriented. It's not about us. I mean, you know, as a parent, one of the greatest days in our lives is when our children learn that the universe doesn't revolve around them. I mean, for some, it takes a long time, but, I mean, that's a great day for us to understand. For baby Christians, it is a wonderful experience to learn that the kingdom of God does not revolve around you. Doesn't. Listen, to become great, we have to become a servant. If we want to live like Jesus, we have to recognize that the kingdom, again, doesn't revolve around us. It means that our focus has to be directed to what we give to others, not what we can get from them. That's it. I'm closing. You know, it's interesting, again, to note that Jesus doesn't criticize their ambition for for wanting those positions. You know what he does? He redirects it. It's good to be ambitious. It's good to have goals. It's good to pursue those things. I, I, you know, again, I look out here, and, 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 and I know as, as simplistic as it is, every one of these seats represents a soul for whom Christ died and we should be reaching. I've said that for years. That's the goal. That's the goal is to get somebody in those chairs to know that Jesus Christ is Lord of their lives. Simple. And it's a goal to work towards. And it's, again, he, that's ambitious because everything in our culture today says the church has lost its relevancy. The church has lost her influence. The church is a non-issue. And I say quite the opposite because all the foundations of man have been shaken in today's culture, and the only thing that still is stable and strong is the foundation of Jesus Christ upon which he's built his church to which he said the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Listen, we should not turn our back on people that have ambition. We just need the right kind of ambition. Again, greatness is something every believer should aspire to, okay? But we have to go about it God's way. In God's way, the, great, uh, the way of greatness in the kingdom is down, not up. Because the Bible says if you humble yourself, what would he do? He will lift you up. He will do that. It's not my job. Listen, I appreciate so much. Every, every card, every note, every gift that was given for past appreciation, but I've said it for years, and I'll say it, I'll say it until the Lord calls me home. My appreciation is you being here. I, I don't need those other things. 
I'm grateful and appreciative of that, but I don't need that. You're being here with me, serving alongside together. That's appreciation enough. That inspires me. If you weren't here, man, can you imagine? I can't imagine. I, I, I know that during COVID when we didn't have people here, that was depressing. That was depressing. I don't consider myself a great preacher, but I can tell you I was not. I felt like I was a rookie because I, I like to interact with people. I like to hear an amen every once in a while. I like to have somebody clap or nod their head or, or at least may, make me think like they're listening, even though they're probably not. I, I like that. <laughs> and when there was nothing here, it was very depressing. And I remember the first Sunday we met after that COVID. I sat right over here. And I cried. I still have the emotion of it. I cried. Because I'd missed the sound of my family. I missed the sound of my colleagues, my companions in ministry. And it was so refreshing to hear that again. See, that's, that's what it's all about. It's about serving. And as long as God allows me the, the privilege of pastoring this church we will be a servant. I tell, I don't know how I would say this, everybody I know in the community leadership, I said, look, you need something, call me. Call me. We'll get it done. Those lights, Christmas lights, organization in town called and said, hey, can you help us? I'm like, absolutely. 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 That's what we'll do until Jesus comes. I want you to stand with me tonight as we, as we close. Again, James and John were men of vision, men willing to pay a price. Jesus, what did he do with that kind of ambition? He redirected it. Listen, every one of us will probably run across somebody, whether it be a youth, uh, whether it be maybe some new believer that comes in that gets touched by the Lord. And, and man, it's, it's like, I don't, know, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's, it's like trying to train like a, 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 I don't want to use the word, a, a puppy dog. It's, you know, you get, a, you get a, an animal that's full of energy. And they're just bouncing all over the place. And sometimes you get a, a new believer in, and they're just so giddy and excited because Jesus has forgiven them of their sin. And, man, they feel like they can take the whole world on and the devil himself, and, and they're excited. And you, know, and, and you know what? It's great to be ambitious like that. And, and they start talking about, well, pastor, you know what? Maybe we ought to meet Saturday. Maybe we ought to go knock on doors. or Maybe we ought to go start this. And they just have all these dreams and visions. How did Jesus handle that? He, direct, he redirected that. He redirected their energies, and he said, look, the way of greatness is by being a servant. And for us, as we close tonight, that is, that is our calling as well, is to be a servant. Now, again, as we get older, I think servanthood takes on a little bit of a different role, but there's still ways that we serve and touch people in very practical ways. Don't you bow with me as we close in prayer online tonight. If you'll comment, I want to pray with you. And that's, that's how I'm going to close tonight. If you're here tonight, say, you know what, Pastor, I, 
I want to learn what it is to be a servant. I want to learn what it is to be a servant, to, to find the joy in living others-oriented. It's a very boring life to be focused on yourself. But when you open up that expansiveness of serving other people, man, what, a, what an incredible, enlightening experience it is. Anybody here tonight said, Pastor, pray for me. I, I want to learn what that is like, just to be a servant. Amen, right up, right back there. If you're online, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you as well. Father, tonight, I do thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for these snapshots into your life. And Lord, how you gave us great examples. Lord, sometimes we'll run across people that are bubbling over with enthusiasm. And Lord, like you, we, we accept that enthusiasm and that emotion, but we help redirect it to what is productive. Give us that wisdom and that guidance. And above all, I, think, I, I pray that you would help us to understand that greatness in your kingdom is not measured by what we would typically, the metrics that we use in our world is not the same metrics that you use. Well, greatness is not about climbing the ladder and getting above everybody else and ahead of everybody else. It's about lowering ourselves. It's about donning a towel and a pail of water and washing feet, becoming a servant of all. Lord, help, this, help us to cultivate this, as Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Help us to cultivate that mindset of Christ and become a servant of all. And Father, I pray for Bethel. Lord, help us to exemplify in our community what true servanthood is, whether it's mowing a yard, picking up trash, uh, Lord, edging of a field, going by the creek, what, whatever it is, painting a downtown. Lord, just help us to serve just because that's what Christ, that's what you came to do. Not to, to be served, but to serve and to give your life a ransom for many. Now, Father, I pray you'll go with us tonight. Give us a wonderful, restful night. And should you tarry, uh, Lord, I pray you'll, you'll bring us again on Sunday. Lord, ready to hear your word and ready to receive from you. And I pray you'll bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. I love and I bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. Thanks for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much.